Welcome to A State of Mind. This is Julian Ocean. Today's episode is the second part of a conversation with my buddy, Stephen R.A. Johnson. And in this conversation, Stephen shares with us some of his knowledge of cryptocurrency and its development and his observations of this whole phenomena. And he shares with us part of his life experience of traveling to New Hampshire for the Free State Project and his experience with that and with being a libertarian kind of activist and connecting with that community. And this conversation, like our first one, was recorded in a tiny wooden cabin high up above the mountains above Crestone, Colorado. And we actually start this part of the conversation with me recounting an old legend of when Colorado was part of the Spanish Empire and there were missionaries and different people coming through exploring the area and supposedly a large amount of Spanish gold was lost. So it's an old legend, but I have met people that are still out there looking for it. (laughs) And that kind of set us off on the whole subject of cryptocurrencies and our economy, as well as um, some other political issues. So I really hope that you get something useful out of this conversation. For more show notes, links, and other information, check out our website, estateofmindplay.com. And without further ado, I bring you Stephen R.A. Johnson. I was going to say, one legend that I've heard multiple times in Crestone is that this whole uh, part of the world used to be claimed by the Spanish crown. And um, there were Spanish, uh, whatever they were, conquistadors and missionaries and settlers kind of moving through this giant valley down in Arizona and New Mexico and Mexico. And there's this legend that there's um, a bunch of uh, Spanish gold somewhere up in the mountains around here that was lost. And Oh, I I'd love to find that. that. <laughs> I always think about that when I come here. <laughs> I thought about maybe panning for some gold and you know, getting some flakes or the occasional nugget. <laughs> any any bit of gold is a good amount of gold. Yeah. But do you got any leads on, on that chest of gold? Just that it's somewhere in the mountains above Creston, lost oh, in a storm. Close to here, you think? Yeah, that's what I've heard. Hmm. Well, gold's, gold is, um, well, it has been money for thousands of years. And what we think about as money now, the dollars and such, um, well, I don't think it's going to last as money for long. The paper dollar? The, the paper dollar, the, the, the state-issued fiat currencies. Um, well, I remember the, the days are numbered of, of fiat currency. In fact, we have these phenomena of negative interest rates. It means it's not even profitable profitable to hold your money anymore. What does that mean? Like the value is going down? That means you have to pay to hold money. Mm. It's like if you... Uh, we're, back in the day, we had savings accounts. Some people had savings accounts. They put their cash in the savings account and earned 2 or 3% interest. That means they made money on putting their money in the bank. Mm. Now with negative interest rates... Uh, they're more common in, in European nations. 
Uh, we have almost 0% interest rates in, in the United States from the Federal Reserve. Well, um, that, that means they're, they're, it's more or less a tax on people's cash in their checking accounts. I mean, I'm imagining part of the point of that is to try to encourage people to spend and invest and not just hold on to a pile of cash somewhere. To, to take on more debt. To take on more debt. Yeah, we're in, that, we have the so spending, debt. The spending is not based, is not coming from real money, such as co commodity money. The spending is coming from fiat money. There's money printed out of thin air. And so you're seeing gold as an alternative to that that might be better. I mean, I know. I remember well, you, it's you... not just me. It's China and Russia and, <laughs> and you know the, these these new players in the world economy. Uh, they see that they're buying tons of gold. Hmm. They're buying all the gold they can get their hands on because they see that they at least see that fiat currencies days are numbered, and when these currencies hyperinflate and crash. You know, we see this happening in Venezuela. The, the Bolivar is hyperinflated. Mm. The cash is just blowing blowing around in the streets. It's worthless. You need a wheelbarrow to, to buy basic goods, mm. a wheelbarrow of cash. So it's, it's not even usable anymore. It's so hyperinflated. That's the most extreme example in the world. But this is, this is where money, money is going. So who, who, who sees what is really valuable? China and Russia are buying the gold. Other... Other nations are, are getting interested in, in Bitcoin, another store of value. It's a digital store of value, mm. a digital equivalent to gold, a scarce, uh, a scarce commodity. Um, the, these things that have um, value and cannot be duplicated, but have to be mined, intensively um, mined in order to come into existence. So there's some, some real value with something like gold. And I remember one time you gave me a silver coin that was really nice, and it was this, it had the weight stamped on the back, and it was mm. like having this old timey thing, like I was like a cowboy or something. <laughs> <laughs> but um, are you? Would you say you're a fan of like Bitcoin, digital currency, and how does that? How is that something similar to gold? Because that also seems like it's just a digital thing. Like, what's to stop? I mean, I know that's this is a whole other conversation, but it, it's an important conversation to have. Um, I am. I've been uh, watching. Bitcoin develop, I think, since I heard about it in oh, 2011 or 2012. And mm, there's been a lot of naysayers, a lot of doubters. Uh, the, 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 the value of Bitcoin has been very volatile, uh, but volatile in an extreme uptrend. Um, some, some extreme swings, but we're talking thousands of, of percent gains in just a few years. And the reason um, this digital cash uh, maintains its value and grows in value is due to it having a scarce supply, mm, which is backed by enormous uh, computing power, mm. uh, consensual uh, computing power uh, through the people mining the Bitcoin all over the world. So there's kind of a, some technical things happening here to, to make it scarce and to make it secure mm. uh, it's mathematical algorithms that that people around the world uh, who are running specialized computer hardware agree on and to the degree that the network uh, builds this computing power and and increases um, the computing power the security increases 
and mm-hmm. the, the the scarcity of of the commod the digital commodity is ensured. So Ooh. there's only 21 million possible bitcoins, and maybe about 17 million or so have been um, created oh, up, up to now. Yeah. I mean, but to make kind of try to put it in a nutshell, it's Bitcoin is not something that someone on a computer could just push a few buttons and magically make 20 million more. It's a limited amount, kind of like there's a limited amount of gold in the world. Right. The underlying technology is is called blockchain technology. I'm sure a lot of people have heard these mm, words in, in the conversation yeah, on the news and, and such. But uh, really the the invention of of the blockchain, of the distributed ledger accounting system um, really, the the most novel um, point that it that it produced was the um, inability to copy and paste the money. <laughs> it's like we we've had we've we've grown up in this digital age, and we're we're completely accustomed to finding stuff on on the line, mm. sharing sharing digital files, copying and pasting. Yeah, and it kind of cheapens things, you know. Like this podcast, for example, it's free to listen to, and that's wonderful in, in one way. But there's been such an explosion of online content and music and art, and a lot of it's I support that; it's wonderful. But it's also an interesting world we're creating where we are expecting everything to be free online, and mm. some real issues with that. See, uh, the thing with Bitcoin is that um, it is an open source technology; is free to use, free to copy free to copy the the code that runs it whereas uh if if you want a bitcoin uh and you get a bitcoin you can't copy and paste that Hmm. you got to buy you got to you got to work hard to get another bitcoin cool these aren't just printed out of thin air and then there's all these i mean there's now hundreds of other similar cryptocurrencies is there anything else you want to just say on the subject in general or in particular yeah it's a really it's a it's a technology that that's here to stay, and it's already revolutionizing world um, commerce and e- economies of, of scale. So the the notion of of a, a store of value, gold has been a store of value for thousands of years, and now Bitcoin um, is the digital equivalent of a store of value. So this is something that that is even uh, superior to gold in the way that uh, it's it. It has uh, just as much value. So you don't you don't see it as a bubble that's going to disappear or be this like freak thing that like was a scam that fooled a lot of people. You think it's here like ten, twenty, thirty years from now? No, the dollar is a bubble. The euro <laughs> is a bubble. All the the national bonds you are believe, bubbles. You believe more in the cryptocurrencies than in like the United States dollar, in some ways. Um, as far as mm, authenticating its value. And source code, yes. How, how can we authenticate the dollar, the value of a dollar? Well, the, to me, it just seems like the whole thing is running off of people's faith. We're in like a faith-based economic thing, and it, maybe it all is a bubble. Maybe it all could pop because the only thing that really gives dollars values is our belief in them. Otherwise, it's just a piece of paper. It's uh, it's same same with any money is is faith and and what people are willing to trade for it. Right. But in order to trade something like material for it, you have to believe that someone else will do the same. This whole like complex economic system, it's amazing to think about how it's built up every time. And uh, I'm not wishing that it just all fall apart. I think it's, I don't think it will. But Well, the, the thing with uh, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and the rest, um, 
it's it's kind of like uh, a, the latest mm, transfer of wealth, the most recent transfer of wealth since um, since the discovery of oil, since the in, industrial revolu- revolution, mm. and and uh, and striking oil. So if you owned a ranch on Texas and you, you found oil, you're mm. automatically a millionaire, right? Right. And of course, the Middle East, all these nations are built up on oil. Mm. Uh, so this oil has really creative. Uh, you, it, maybe it was bankers before or mm, the steel corporations. Wait, so, so you're saying that, that oil- cryptocurrencies are like oil, that people who have them now are... Like have this resource right if if you if you manage to get bitcoin early and i still think it's early hmm. i still think it's cheap maybe it's ten thousand dollars for a bitcoin yeah it used to be under a dollar <laughs> but still it's cheap huh. um th- it's now we can take part in the largest transfer of wealth <laughs> since oil this is just when ordinary people maybe just struck it rich by happening to have some oil on their land. If you just happen to get some Bitcoin, maybe buying some through an exchange or earning some through your through selling your goods or, or services, if you just happen to have some Bitcoin now, you can count yourself among among the people who, who have benefited from the largest wealth transfer in history. Interesting. I haven't heard it put in those terms exactly before. It, it's it's huge. Well what so what so, do you what do you think about all the other cryptocurrencies out there? Well, there are many. Um, it, it is a race. Um, Bitcoin will have to prove uh, its worth. It, it's proving its worth as a store of value, but as far as a a method of uh, everyday commerce, mm, the, cryptocurrencies are racing to to prove and and establish which one will really be used as money at the point of sale, online uh, online sales. And gaming, right. all, all these um, industries, uh, the proverbial cup of coffee, like when, when you go buy your, your coffee with cryptocurrency, whichever one, whichever cryptocurrency you use to buy that coffee will be the one to have won the race mm. to, to mass adoption. Right. So not, not, uh, cryptocurrency has not yet um, achieved mass adoption. But, uh, and Bitcoin, it doesn't look like Bitcoin will, in my opinion. Uh, it will it will remain uh, a store of value it has powerful network effects uh, to to retain its value as a store of value like a digital gold but just as we don't spend gold or transfer gold um, unless we really need to liquidate or, or the cash or, or whatever um, it's going to be some other cryptocurrency that's going to be used at the point of sale and whichever one that is uh, the value of, of that uh, will skyrocket and reckon with Bitcoin. Hmm. So it's it's kind of like an art, uh, race right now. We'll see how it sorts out. But in my opinion, um, it's looking like Dash Digital Cash hmm. will will be that one. Uh, it is proving itself as as a medium of exchange in Venezuela. Oh, really? Where where people really really need it? Huh. Not only because the currency is devalued, the local currency, but because um, payments are difficult or impossible in ordinary circumstances. Mm. So to be able to to text, people are using SMS text messaging to send Dash 
digital cash to one another. Or if they have a smartphone, they can, of course, use, use the app in, in their smartphones mm. uh, to transfer, transfer uh, money at the point of sale. So restaurants are accepting it and shopping malls, parking garages, you know, like the transactions are small. The, the, and, and so it's um, pointing at being used as, as money, as currency. Mm. What do you think about, I've heard that the whole Bitcoin thing and mining of it takes up a tremendous amount of computing power such that it's actually using a lot of oil, resources, energy. Is that, is that true? Is that accurate? Uh, it's true that it requires mm, a lot of computing power. Um, like I've but, heard, but I've it's, heard it's environmentalists not, argue against it. it. I don't think it's a valid argument because uh, the place where it's profitable to mine Bitcoin is where power is cheap. Uh, for instance, mm, in China, Mm. or you might call like the Tibetan plateau. Uh, energy is cheap there for a couple of reasons. One, because it's uh, sponsored by the state. Uh, China mm, gives it away for free uh, to, to people. Um, and another is that while it's hydroelectric, a lot of it's from renewable sources. So wherever there's uh, renewable energy, and especially in communist or socialist um, regime, where it's sponsored, where the energy costs are sponsored by the state, that's where mining is profitable. Mm, um, so if we're paying 12 cents per kilowatt hour in developed nation, um, we're not going to come out ahead uh, figuring in the cost of the hardware to mine and, and the cost of electricity. Uh, the, the bitcoins in return mm, will not turn a profit in the end. Mm. But if, if electricity is free, if solar power, hydroelectric, of course, renewable sources that are very environmentally friendly. Uh, these these are the main sources of, of Bitcoin mining and hash power okay. in the world now. Well, so I don't think it, 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 it is a tremendous amount of energy being used to secure this network. And from a technical point of view, I think it can be argued that it's much more energy than necessary to right. secure the network. I guess the, the question that it raises for me is, is that the best use of our limited resources of energy i mean is it worth polluting the atmosphere and climate change to mine a bunch of bitcoin um, well we can certainly do better but uh do we have the we have the stats on bitcoin hash power because uh these are are mm, it's it's a publicly auditable network like mm. we can go into uh a bitcoin full node anyone can download the wallet the full node wallet to their desktop and look at these stats and see how much hash power. This is all publicly available data. But do we have the public data on, on Visa's uh, energy consumption? Like the, the credit or MasterCard. Card, the credit card company. Yeah, no, Or JP great, Morgan. It's a great Chase point. Bank. Do so, we have their stats? No, those are proprietary no, statistics. Yeah. So there's no, there's no comparison. We can't make an educated argument one way or the other. And I, I'd imagine when we're talking about transactions per second, Bitcoin has like... You know, it varies probably below 10 transactions per second you know, in peak times. But how many hundreds of transactions per second is Visa running? Maybe even thousands or millions. I mean, it's like mm. these are all over the world, these huge corporations. That's a great point. We don't know the energy usage of all these other corporations, but we know it for something like Bitcoin. Because it's public and open source and auditable. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. So there, there are other technologies that, that do reduce the cost of securing the network. And um, 
for instance, Bitcoin is 99.9999999%. You know, the nines just keep going. Mm. The more the more miners, the more hash power increases, the more secure it gets. But it's really secure at like three or four nines. We don't need extra nines. And so mm. when, a, when a new kind of technology can develop mm, different sources of, of maintaining security with less energy, I think this would be a public good uh, and a benefit to the network and, and to, to humanity. And, and networks are doing that. For instance, Dash now, Dash Digital Cash, is more secure than Bitcoin with a new technology called chain locks that was just just developed and released. So yeah. they leverage a second layer a second layer network system called masternodes to to achieve that. Mm. And so with less hash power but a second layer of of uh, of network effect they they've surpassed the security of bitcoin with much less energy usage. Oh, that's cool so to hear it, about. Yeah, it's happening. Special needs uh, That's great. with a high school age and um, made an honest living, connected with, with all the anarchists and libertarians. <laughs> it's kind of a, a range of, of political thought, but Interesting. but generally leaning toward liberty and, and anarchy in the sense of no ruler. So I just want to, yeah, like drill into that a little bit more because we, we tend to think about politics uh, left and right. That tends to be our spectrum in you went out there partly for this political movement that I think is would it be accurate to say it's libertarian more than anything else, which is which doesn't really fit on the left-right spectrum. Do you think that's accurate, or how would you talk about that? Uh, it's accurate. Um, yeah, most most people are ha- have have multitudes of of ideas and and views which don't quite fall on one side or another. So the libertarian uh, view, in many ways, at least, um, kind of the prevailing uh, sentiment. In New Hampshire, it's kind of a, a socially liberal and um, economically conservative um, worldview or kind of political view. Hmm. So, so yeah, it's it's kind of like some things are you might fall on the left, some things might fall on the right politically, um, but it, it, it the the view is is can be summed up. Uh, by the non-aggression principle, huh. so this is um, known as the NAP non-aggression principle. <laughs> NAP people uh, people mm, call on the NAP uh, principle mm, over and over in in order to um, make a point. You know, there's a lot of points being made and arguments being made, and it always comes down to the NAP. Are are, are we mm, asserting our force? Or, or fraud or aggression on others? If so, then that's a violation of the non-aggression principle. Hmm. So um, whatever we do, whatever kind of decisions we make, our, our private decisions, if they don't affect others um, through, through aggression, uh, then, then we should be free to, to pursue those, whether it's whatever kind of lifestyle. Huh. So uh, a, a, big, a big part of what um, got me involved there is the use of these digital currencies at the time it was bitcoin and uh has evolved to um other currencies especially dash like i mentioned before which is mm. a little bit more useful at the point of sale but uh yeah, there are people on the ground activists who are going to local local establishments and offering to pay in bitcoin offering to pay in dash and after after years of doing that more and more merchants have 
you know, got the apps on their tablets or found one way or another to accept these uh, digital currencies. And now there's there's a local economy uh, burgeoning with with digital currency. Hmm. So it, it, it's uh, it's definitely a place where where you can have have your Bitcoin and spend it too. <laughs> you know, spend it at the restaurants, uh, spend it on automotive repair. Uh, a, so so much such a variety uh, of of applications. Is yeah. this a particular town or area, or is it kind of the whole state? that's kind of like that. Or? Well, the Free State Project is, is a statewide um, initiative, so you can move anywhere you want in in New Hampshire and be part of this Free State Project and really pursue pursue liberty and freedom in in whatever way whatever way you want. Their idea is to get a critical mass of people thinking along the lines of freedom. And so whatever that means to them is up to them, but they figure a, a critical mass would be about uh, 20,000 people hmm. in the state of, of about 1 million would actually affect the culture, huh. would actually change the culture. And this, uh, I mean, New Hampshire license plate says live free or die. Oh, it's great. <laughs> I've always noticed that. <laughs> yeah, what does that mean anyway? Well, I don't know. What does that mean? <laughs> are we living free or, or are we dying? <laughs> So you went and joined the free state thing, and um, how like so? How many people were you connecting with around that? Was it, were there like monthly meetings, or what did it look like? Oh yeah, there are different meetups for for different purposes. I huh. I generally joined up with the uh, Bitcoin meetup, uh, later called the um, decentralized currency meetup, or something like that, to include all the different uh, currency and blockchain projects developing. Um, but these, there's actually a really good um, format for this meetup. They meet every eight days, and that way, um, hmm. you know, there, there's certain people who can come every time based on their schedule and and lifestyle. Uh, but others, you know, they might have work days or, or this or that. So, uh, setting setting a meetup every eight days allows for at least every uh, few meetups. Uh, everyone being able to attend at least sometimes that's, if they want to. That's a cool idea. I haven't heard that before. A lot of, there's a lot of weekly meetups that I'll connect with, and th- it's always an issue to find the time because it can't you can't find one time that works for everyone. Yeah, but that way you, you're gonna each meetup's gonna be on a different day of the week. Exactly. Or, that's cool. Yeah. So it rotates. So that's just a, some practical advice to anyone doing meetups. But we did these um, Bitcoin meetups uh, back then, and every meetup would also be at a different establishment so sometimes it would be at the local burger or a cafe or this or that uh, if a place accepted bitcoin already we would definitely keep that in the loop of meetups Mm. and we'd spend our bitcoin there to express our appreciation and let them know (laughs) that the economy is happening in case no one else is spending bitcoin there and if they weren't accepting bitcoin already we we would plug it we'd pitch it we'd say hey there's this cool new currency there's no banks no middlemen no no fees you know can have your money and keep it too. <laughs> and how would you actually spend it? Is this through an app on your phone? Yeah, real easy. Okay. Just getting the a Bitcoin wallet on a smartphone right. and and scanning a code at the register. Um, a lot of the a lot of the merchants who find it easiest to accept these digital currencies are small businesses that are using, for instance, an, an iPod, uh, iPad, or a tablet uh, for their point of sale system. Mm-hmm. So with a tablet, it's easy to, all the apps, all the wallet apps exist already for the digital currencies. So it's as easy as downloading the, the wallet, plugging and playing. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so we had the most success with, um, 
with small businesses what, in that what, way. What year did you move there? It was a few years ago, right? Yeah, um, must have been 2015. 2015. And then how does the election of 2016 play into all this? Is that, that's when Trump you know, beat Clinton, and was this movement, like where do people fall on that, like it, that spectrum, I mean? Well, half the people are anarchists, so they just, and if they're... If they're worth their beans as anarchists, they don't vote at all. So it didn't matter to them. <laughs> they're living their life as they see fit anyway, you know, with or without so they have, the federal mm, shenanigans. They're not voting because they just don't believe in that whole system? Or what yeah, is the thinking there? Yeah, they've opted out. Just opting they, out. they don't accept uh, the federal government as, as valid authority in their lives. Huh. So they don't participate in, in, in those kind of affairs. It's kind of an so anti-authoritarian, anti-centralized government. Is that... It's pro, pro-life and pro-freedom. You know, it's just mm-hmm. living your life as you see fit. Well, pro-life is a pretty loaded phrase. What do, what do you mean when you say that? I mean, uh, I noticed as I said it, yeah, that <laughs> has a specific usage. But the way the way I mean is that that we own ourselves. We are individuals who who own our bodies, who 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 own our minds, and have have free will to live our lives as we see fit. Right, and we can we can simply opt out. Of dealing with the federal government in many ways we might drive on their roads sometimes but we can avoid them too we can drive on county roads state roads you know so to the degree of of interacting with government we can we can definitely choose to interact with government less hmm. and so others you know they did take part in the election process and i think some were disheartened uh at the libertarian party hmm. you know we've been talking about the libertarian viewpoint which may or may not coincide with with the platform of the Libertarian Party. Oh, really? <laughs> so there, there's the Libertarian uh, view with the small L and the big L, Libertarian Party. So um, a lot of people weren't happy with, with the way their uh, the Libertarian National Convention played out, weren't right. happy with, with the, the candidates that were chosen at the convention. So, And there were one or two people in the Free State Project who who supported Trump for their own reasons and uh, kind of um, received backlash from the community, but, oh, really? but they had their reasons and they went for it. And, Interesting. Yeah. I personally voted for Jill Stein, which was another unpopular candidate uh, among the huh. generally uh, right-leaning or conservative-leaning. Mm, was she the Green Party? Green Party, that's right. Okay. Yeah, I really wish we had a system in which uh, third parties had more of a voice and which that vote didn't feel like it was wasted, you know, but unfortunately we don't. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to to seeing how the the candidates in the Libertarian Party this cycle shuffle out. Uh, I have my eye on Adam Kokesh and John McAfee. I, mean, I don't know much about them. Yeah, Adam Kokesh is is running on... He's kind of using his campaign as, as a ballot a ballot initiative, or a a, a national um, referendum to dissolve the federal government at its roots. Jeez, uh, that sounds pretty extreme. So he's the first presidential candidate to say he he's not fit to be president, and therefore on day one we'll we'll draft an executive order to dissolve the federal government and return all the property. To the states, 
I don't even know where to go with that one. So <laughs> the, I mean, they're against the federal government and they want to empower states to be more independent or autonomous. Yeah, there'd be 50 autonomous states, including, as we were talking about before, uh, the, the many uh, independent uh, Native American nations. Hmm. Oh, it's hard for me to imagine that without thinking about a lot of chaos and, and you know, happening after something like that. But Well, you know, having lived in, in different parts of the country, it it's obvious enough that New Hampshire has more in common with Canada Vermont has more in common with Canada than California. Huh. Well, so why don't we why don't we unite with Canada? Why aren't we united with Canada? Hmm. How, how do how do how do uh, Vermont and Canada get along? Just fine. They're independent <laughs> independent states, independent countries. Huh. So I think California and, and New Hampshire could get along just fine, being completely independent without the middleman or some arbitrary authority. Um, making um, rules that don't fit for for all these disparate uh, disparate cultures. Yeah. Well, I at least take your point that the federal government could be curtailed and there could be more independence among the states. Um, that's that's a that, general view in the Libertarian like, Party. Yeah. I mean, but I at the same time, I recognize that certain states would go in certain directions that I might not want to. You know, there, we might have a greater diversity within this within this land, but. It, there might be some things that that we feel are wrong. Like, for example, in the South, you know, if we if the states had had more autonomy during the time of segregation, or even if we go back to slavery, then obviously we would still be having those those things. So there has been times where the federal government has kind of enforced uh, basic human rights. And enforce is a a strong word. <laughs> well, it's I don't know. It feels accurate to me. Like. Without the force of the Supreme Court and the federal government doing what it did, there would still be segregation probably in like Mississippi, Alabama. I mean, I don't know. And there would probably be uh, lines of, of, of humans, you know, just like from South America, Central America into the United States, people fleeing those conditions to a free country, to a free state. Maybe moving north. Moving north. Yeah. Huh. And that did happen. Yeah, that did happen. With or without the federal government's uh support hmm. so yeah these these are all it's all historical perspective and we can we can say you know what if about a lot of that and we can see um different cultures different um state politics playing out among the 50 states mm-hmm. uh and you know we're here in colorado we could talk about what's happening in colorado and if we disagree with something well would we would we feel like moving to a freer state or a state that that more aligned with our our cultural or religious political values. Yeah. I mean, I feel like to a large degree, we're already kind of doing this, like where people move to communities that are similar to them. Like, uh, you know, imagine if I was, I don't know, a Christian, like a very strong certain kind of Christian, maybe I would want to move to a community of other people who are similar to that. And that's kind of already happening where we like have these little pockets and different kinds of communities. And um, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but. There's a natural human tendency to like live amongst people that you see eye to eye on on certain issues. Mm-hmm. And and with 50 states, other other libertarian candidates have said this in the past, um, even without dissolving the federal government, but allowing um, the states to run their own healthcare systems without the need for a federal healthcare system. That would make 50 different uh, healthcare systems competing with each other 
trying out new ideas for healthcare, implementing those. Mm. If they're successful, then they can be copied. If they're not successful, they'll be avoided. But here we have this one-size-fits-all approach, and we have the most expensive and, and lesser effective healthcare systems in the world. Right. Well, many would argue that the the lack of power in our central government, like that other countries that have more successful healthcare systems have a cohesive model for the whole country in a place like Germany or Canada um, that we're not able to do here for political reasons. So you could kind Perhaps. of argue it either way. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, anyway, so you moved out there, and was that... Uh, like a success? Like you're glad you had that life experience? You were there for like a few years? Oh yeah, I was there for about two years and enjoyed my work at the special needs school. Really, really grew a lot as a person. You know, I, I continued um, continued my, my practice, my contemplative practice, um, connected with the community there and kind of saw, uh, just felt myself kind of being drawn back out west and it, um, kind of had the opportunity to come here to Crestone and do some meditation retreats. So, well, it's just it was really cool for me to hear about and know you like moving across the country partly for ethical, moral, political reasons and just kind of taking a chance like that with your life and doing something a little bit unusual and different. And is that still, you know, a movement community that you believe in and are involved with? I I do believe in it. I I support them. I recommend to anyone who wants to to try out that kind of lifestyle to to look at New Hampshire, to look at the Free State Project. Um, even without the Free State Project, I, I'm really uh, benefited by uh, just being in New Hampshire. And I think that's why they chose to, to, to make their project in New Hampshire. For instance, uh, New Hampshire does not have a state sales tax. They have no state income tax. So the, the money that I earned through, through working at the, at the special needs school I kept more of my money. So this is a kind of a central tenet of the libertarian kind of view or philosophy is that we ought to be able to keep our own money. And if, if mm. uh, when we have more money, when we have more means, we can be more likely to be effective in society and use our money wisely. Uh, so to the degree that, that I was able to uh, earn more money, keep, keep money, uh, participate in local culture and economy, uh, I was also able to save some money and that, that got brought me back to Crestone. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I guess for me, I thinking about taxes is a weird thing. And uh, I don't like my tax dollars going to a lot of what they go to, the military, to wars, to corporate bailouts, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think I would really qualify as a libertarian because I do see the point of certain social projects. And, you know, something like universal health care is something I would, if it was done in the right way, I think I would be behind. So I think that they're certain things that it really makes sense to me on like I like decriminalizing drugs like reforming our prison system all that kind of stuff um, but then I think there are certain public goods that we that we need to work together towards and like education and healthcare seem like two two good examples of that and maybe like the road system infrastructure you know things like that so but maybe so I see a role for the government but maybe it could be a lot more limited and we could certainly use our tax dollars a lot better and maybe pay a lot less in taxes. I don't know. That's kind of my thoughts on it. <laughs> I, I would hope so, because there's a lot of rent seekers out there who are taking those tax, tax dollars, funneling it into their own pockets, so the end result doesn't even go to, to the healthcare, to the roads. Uh, and, and in the end, it's private companies who, who build those roads, private companies who provide that healthcare. Hmm. And so when we can vote with our dollars effectively, 
choose choose the companies and the associations to to support, then I think our dollars will be well spent. Hmm. Interesting. And it's a it's a voluntary uh, economy rather than than a forced or, or a taxed economy. Hmm. So more more voluntary. Definitely voluntary. Voluntarism <laughs> is the way. <laughs> well, cool. Any other last thoughts on uh, on cryptocurrency or on different things you've been talking about here? Definitely, yeah. Check out check out the Free State Project. Look look into Keene and Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and how they're using uh, Bitcoin uh, and especially Dash Digital Cash now, uh, and in their in their local economies and using it to to build the local economy, to build uh, individual wealth, and and to say save on on all the fees and stuff that come come with our our legacy. Uh, fiat system. <laughs> yeah. Well, just to highlight that last piece, I think building local communities is really important and the local economy should be part of that. And so I, that's something I agree with. Well, we definitely see it working when when we start spending our cryptocurrency at, at certain restaurants or establishments. And then th- those people start to use the crypto they earn at other locations in town that also accept it. So, so Mr. Wilder, the automotive, mm, who who uh, automotive repair, he uses the the money he earns at the local burger, and we see kind of a, a, a network building. It's not just uh, one way, and they're they're cashing out for for U.S. dollars in the end, but they're they're actually circulating the money in the local economy and building it up that way. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you found this podcast valuable, there are many ways that you can support it. You can blog about it, post about it on your social media accounts and share it with friends. You can visit our Patreon page, patreon.com backslash a state of mind. And you can leave us a review in your favorite podcast listening app. For episode notes and more information and links, please visit estateofmindplay.com. And to learn more about my work as a therapist, meditation teacher, and coach, visit julianocean.us. Thanks so much, and I will see you here next time.